Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Well, good evening and welcome to you who finally made it. How you all doing? Everyone well? Nice, nice, nice. Who managed to read through the book of Corinthians this week? Impressive. Impressive. After I left uh, the meeting last week and I was thinking, well, you know, I shouldn't really call it homework because isn't that what Christians do? They read the Bible. We believe the scripture is the word of God because Jesus said it is, because he referred to the apostles who claimed it was, the prophets, and man shall not live by bread alone, but by the words that bring nourishment. So, you know, reading through the book of Corinthians isn't like this big deal. I left last week thinking, that's normal Christianity. I tell you what uh, is a little bit different, is uh, not just to read it devotionally, but to go and ask the questions behind the scenes. Um, like who was talking to who? Paul. Thank you. Paul was talking. Who was Paul talking to? The church in Corinth. Who was the church in Corinth made up of? Yes. Rich and poor. It's a real hodgepodge. Corinth was a hodgepodge. I mean, if we, did the, if we studied the book of Colossians, it would be easy. Because there wasn't this major issue going on in Coloss. It was easy to write that book. You know, when he, when he wrote uh, to the, the Ephesians, uh, it was just a delightful book of who they are in Christ. And I deliberately chose Corinthians because Corinthians is probably the most challenging book of Paul's letters. Challenging epistle. And it, it, it's challenging because he didn't just sit down one day and say, hey, I'm going to write about eight topics. I'm going to send it to the church, and I hope it kind of like a shotgun, you know, something t- hits them somewhere. No, no, he chooses his words exactly according to the voice on the other side of the phone call. And if we don't reconstruct it, we can end up with a hodgepodge of ideas and all kinds of isms and philosophies and and things, but we don't live back in the time of Corinth. So we are kind of at the mercy of historians, um, cross-referencing. Did anyone read Acts 18, just by the way? In the, interesting that Acts 18, the whole chapter is about when Paul goes to Corinth. He has Paul, radically converted, sent on his way but under the power of the Holy Spirit, goes through hardship, comes into a community of pagans, and meets two believers that had been in Rome, Quill and Priscilla, and they started a ministry there, a a tent-making ministry, a tent-making business that freed them up to go and preach in the synagogues. It was there where he got so much persecution by the Jewish uh, Christians that eventually dusted his feet, because the Jewish Christians wanted even to first become Jewish. He dusted his feet and he said, I'm going to the Gentiles. Went down the road. Crispus, the synagogue leader, went with him with a whole bunch of people. You could say that was the first church split. 
But it wasn't really a church split because a church hadn't been planted yet. But there a church was planted. And um, the whole of chapter 18. So to understand a book like Corinthians, you've got to also go and look at other passages and books in the Bible. And you've got to know a little bit about the behind the scenes. Who was not you on Sunday morning? Okay. So Sunday, Sunday morning, what I try to do, as I might have to do a little bit tonight, is put into practice what we did here last Monday night. If you were here last Monday night, you'll know we spoke about the principles of good interpreting of the Scripture. What genre is it? Um, the questions of occasion. Why was it being written? Who was speaking to who? What were the challenges? And, and then you could get into the grammatical difficulties. And, and, uh, and today, we're very fortunate because we've got such good uh, commentaries and, and Bible dictionaries that have really done all that hard work for us. So if you want to go behind the book and get the occasion, the setting, the background, the grammatical problems and some of those diffi- very difficult verses to understand then you don't, have to go and, you don't have to go and reinvent the wheel and go and learn Hebrew or Greek. You can actually just go to a good commentary. Now, the other reason I chose Corinthians is, I must say, reading it this week, I thought, I must be crazy to think we we're going to get through it in one evening. <laughs> Out of the eight arguments, I honestly can that he was, the eight problems that he was addressing, we can only really do justice to one. The first one. But the fact that it was the first one means it was quite important to get that foundation in place first, as we saw on Sunday, Sunday morning. So what I tried to do this last Sunday was take the principles that we learned last Monday night. This is the month of Bible. We want to have our confidence in the word. We want to approach it from a grammatical, historical point of view, but not let it say now what it didn't say then. That's when the Bible gets twisted and that's when you get all kinds of f- flaky, fruity doctrines. And we never build a doctrine around one verse. I mean, did you read someone Corinthians there about being baptized for the dead? And I bet you a few of you went, hey, now hang on, wait a minute. But because when something like that's only mentioned once, you can't build a doctrine about it. And anyway, we don't know if... Paul was just using it to speak about the resurrection of the dead. That was his main point, was that you guys are saying there's no resurrection of the dead. Then why do you still do that baptizing for the dead thing? Maybe that was part of their culture that they'd inherited, that they were doing that. He's not uh, agreeing that it's right. It can't, be, it can't get people saved because we know all these other books talk about putting your faith in Christ to get saved. You can't buy your baptism for someone dead, you know, bring them back to life. But he doesn't say anything. He leaves it hanging. So it's left to speculation. It's left to ideas. My personal uh, understanding of that one or conclusion is that he, it, was a part of, it was a cultural thing that slipped in that was being practiced. But he didn't want to address that because it wasn't such a major thing. More important was that some were teaching that the, 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 the resurrection had already happened. That was the big one. So Corinthians full of those little things. Man, we could get into, and we have to separate what principles are directly relevant to us. In other words, they're timeless, like the guy sleeping with his mother-in-law. That doesn't have to be deculturated. That's pretty straight to the point. That's absolute. That's going to be forever. But when it comes to head coverings, 
and to grow hair or not to grow hair, very much you're left to the mercy of the understanding of the cultures of the day. And Paul is saying, I don't want division in this church. And by doing certain things, it's like someone coming and leading worship with a speedo. It doesn't fit our culture. I don't care what church you came out of down in Cape Town where they do that kind of stuff. Yeah, in Durban, we don't do that. So by doing that, you're drawing attention to yourself, and it's bringing conflict. There's already drama going on in the church. Can you see why it's important to understand a bit about the background, history, the culture? And I'm sure, well, I'm well done for reading through the book of Corinthians. This coming week, read Romans. The following week, read Galatians. The following week, just keep reading your Bible, man. And read it with a little bit of, What's the background? What's behind the scene? Not only reading it devotionally, because you know you'll only get to a certain level if you read it devotionally. Even now, this last week, I've been pouring over Corinth. I felt like I visited Corinth this week. I felt like I've been there. I can smell Corinth. I'm seeing it. I'm tasting it. I'm like, yes, metropolis of cosmopolitan living and new built city, beautiful under um, Julius Caesar. Uh, the, the, the beauty of that. It, being a, a, a trade port, the wealth, the, the upward mobile community. The, the, um, but then all the other drama that was going on, the temple prostitutes, the, the philosophies of the Greek mythology and, and their fascination with grand speech and grand eloquence and the orators that would get up and they would travel around different cities. And Corinth was a very popular one to visit because it was wealthy and they'd get well paid there. People would pay a lot of money to go and listen to someone get up and give an oratory explanation and a story and, 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 and play with different views. And Paul, if you know some of those views, like, let, me, let me give you a little quick one. Uh, there was Gnosticism which is basically the view that the body's evil, the spirit's good, so just get on, love God, and let do, do the bad things, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, there's dualism between flesh and spirit. So yes, they, the Gnostics agreed that flesh is sinful, but hey, who cares? You know, as long as your spirit's pure. Then you had the ascetics. They were on the other side of the spectrum. They were the guys that said, yes, the body's evil, therefore you've got to starve it, punish it. Don't even have sex with your husband. It's filthy and wicked. Stop it. You know, because, you know, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. How can you have sex with your husband? You know, how can you give your virgin daughter into marriage? The ascetic mindset was strong, even in the church. Then you had the legalists. We know enough about the legalists. But then you had the liberalists on the other side, and we also know what that means. So, so Paul, a lot of what he's writing into, he's got this tension that he's fighting off. Can we eat meat offered to idols? Well, you know, Paul says, I'm free, and I choose to use my freedom not to stumble somebody if they know that it's been offered to idols. But hey, if you buy it in the marketplace and you eat it, don't let anyone else's conscience run you down. If you feel in the safety of your own home... Have a beer, have a glass of wine, have a whiskey if you knock your, whatever blows your hair back. But, 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 but exercise caution because Paul says, Paul says, I'm free. All things are permissible, but not all things are going to be beneficial. He's speaking into that context of Gnosticism and asceticism. He's saying it's not the food that's evil, it's 
the memories of being in the temple with the prostitution and promiscuity and the wild parties that they brought into the communion, by the way. Because they didn't just have a little piece of biscuit and a little bit of sip of wine. They had like tables laid with food and big jugs of wine. And people who hadn't eaten, drank for days would come there and just get madly slaughtered. I mean, they would be totally motherless. Some of them would get so sick. And some of the, even had some people overdose. Literally, they died. Did some of you got sick and you died? You didn't discern that this is the body of Christ, both the body and his body. So Paul's writing into these two different mindsets, the liberalists on the one hand and the, the ascetics on the other side, the Gnostics on the one side. And he's writing into this. And there's lots there. And I'm sure... A year of Sundays couldn't treat this topic properly. So we can all go home now. <laughs> Did anybody notice some key words in the first few chapters? Oh, oh which reminds me, Sunday I gave out homework. And on the blog, I gave out, uh, I introduced you to homework, which was different to the homework I gave out last Monday night. Did you notice that? What was the difference? No, you really knew. Come on. Anybody else? Anybody last Monday night, I handed out this piece of paper. And then on Sunday, I handed out, and on my blog, this was, I said, read the whole book of Corinthians. And then I got a little bit nervous. And I said, read the first four chapters. But I'm glad you read the whole one. No, no, it's, absolutely. There's, I don't apologize for reading the whole book of Corinthians. But there's no ways we can get to the whole book of Corinthians. That's my point. And especially for those who weren't here last Monday night. What I'm going to try to do now. See, there are a few key f- phrases that go through um, Corinthians in those first four chapters. And they're the words wisdom, foolishness, boasting, spiritual in fact, in all of Paul's writings, he uses the word wisdom 45 times. But in these four chapters, he uses them 26 times. So that should give us a clue what he's dealing with. He's dealing with the pseudo-spirituality of the wise, the wisdom of the world, the great philosopher, the eloquent speaker. And, we saw, and I, I broke down on Sunday that Paul comes contra-culture. And he says, if that's true, that wisdom is such a big deal, then why would God have done something foolish like the cross? And the weakness of the cross. He did it because that was the power. God's weakness is greater than man's power. And then he goes back and he says, and anyway, if this was such a wise message and it's all about this superior wisdom, who would have chosen you guys? But then he says, but in Christ you've been sanctified, you become the wisdom of God, and you've been justified. And then he turns it to himself and he says, oh, you think, you know, who's little old Paul? Why should we listen to him? The fact that he'd spent 18 months there leading people to Jesus, convincing them from the scripture that Jesus is Christ, uh, going through the persecution from the Judaizers, uh, being beaten, being all the drama here, in, the, in spite of all that, and loving this church. He went away for two years and then finds out that they're saying, who's this Paul anyway? Who does he think he is? Man, that's got to hurt. 
That's got to hurt when you've poured your heart, your soul, years and years of praying with tears, praying with people, leading them to Christ, walking them through hardship, suffering persecution, going and then having to go on a missionary trip. And while you're on your missionary trip, you hear reports. Who does Paul think he is? He's not eloquent like our new teachers. In fact, he didn't even take our money because that was a privilege for the church to give their money to the apostle. Paul says, I, 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 I'd rather boast not to take your money because I don't want to be like those guys who just come in and, and, and take advantage of you. That's my boast. He says, I'm allowed to do it. I'm free. I know what the Bible says. Don't muzzle the ox while it's treading corn. I know what Jesus said. The work is worthy of his wage. It's quite legitimate to take finances. If he whose work is preaching the gospel, live off the gospel. He says, but I chose not to. I chose to use my freedom in the same way I can eat. I can go to the temple and eat meat, but I don't use my freedom to do that. I'm also not taking your money. And they said, oh, you weak. You're not eloquent. You're not a true apostle. And now he writes. And in the letter, there's some logical divisions. Paul responds to the news that Chloe sent that there'd been divisions in the church, that there was incest, incest taking place, that there were lawsuits among believers and that their sexual immorality was rife. And he, he has to deal with these things. And then in chapter 7, he refers to a letter that he'd received. And in this letter, he had to deal with things like marriage issues, uh, unmarried daughters, uh, food sacrifice to idols, head coverings, the abuse of the Lord's Supper, um, Spiritual gifts, the bodily resurrection, about the financial collection, and the return of Apollos. And he has to get through all these things of which we're not going to get through tonight. But the one he deals with first is the matter of division. And underlying that division was this, I'm of Paul, I'm of Silas, I'm of Apollos. And he has to address this issue First, now we're going to look at how he, how he does this. Uh, because these were more than just uh, differences of opinion. These were quarrels and jealousies that were taking place in the name of their leaders, in the name of Paul Apostle, and were leading to a full-out church split. And then secondly, there was a negative attitude to Paul that had emerged. And this was the foundation of the, the division that he has to first and foremost uh, address. And worry about taking down all the notes. These will, whatever comes up on here will be provided for you. I'll try and fill in a little bit as I'm going to go through it. So we see that the division of a favorite leader's reflects a serious misunderstanding of the role of what a leader is. There are two extremes of um, misunderstanding around Christ-given church government authority. That's leadership. And these are, first of all, putting leaders on pedestals. Always dangerous. 
And secondly, dishonoring those that God has set, God appointed, recognized, called leaders who have been recognized in a community of leaders apostolically set in office. And um, when we become, on the one hand, putting people on a pedestal, we become enamored with them and we set ourselves up for disappointment. Because the closer you get to the leader, the more you see his warts and freckles and pimples. It's only when they stay far away on a big throne that they're so marvelous. That's why I don't get too close to people. (laughs) And secondly, is that dishonoring that comes off. Who the heck do you think you are, Paul? You're just one of us, man. We know the other night we went out and we shot some pool together and you were laughing and relaxed. Oh, now you're spiritual. My pastor Ed said, when you go visit people in the church, go with a collar and tie, else they'll never be able to respect you. And he was serious. Thank God I got delivered of that. But with that comes the second problem. All right, let's move on. So we're going to deal with two things how Paul set straight this understanding of, of leadership and of this division that's come because of a misunderstanding of leadership. Firstly, Paul is very clear, leaders are not rulers over the church, but servants of God for the church. That's an important, uh, written very deliberately. Leaders are not the servants of the people. Leaders are servants of God to the people. So they are servants, but they're God's servants. You're still worldly, he says in 1 Corinthians 3. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned Each his task. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. And then each has a unique task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And ultimately, each is accountable to God. So neither he who plants nor the, he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So there's no division here, Paul is saying, between... Oh, I didn't give you the scripture, eh? I beg your pardon. That was the one I was supposed to read with you. So we see that Paul saying, Silas and Apollos, we're on the same page. We're fellow workers. We're not in competition with each other. Important thing is we're just doing the task that we were assigned to do. But the real glory goes to God because he's made this thing grow. And the end product is what's really in view here. And it's you because you are the church. The temple, the contrast to the values in the city of Corinth were espoused in the local church. The church was the counter-community, the 
contrary culture, the counterculture of, of Corinth, the hope of Corinth, the place where Corinthians could go and find freedom and deliverance, find Jesus as Savior. You guys are that temple where the Holy Spirit is dwelling. That's what's important. And you belong to God. And we're just getting on with our job. So stop thinking of us as anything more than that. Then he switches metaphors. And he elaborates the same point in verse 10. By the grace God gave me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else's building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation, and he's already discussed this foundation in the first two chapters, other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss, although he himself will be saved as escaping through the flames. Everything gets tested. There's going to be hardship. There are going to be persecutions. And if we've built people strong in faith with Christ as their foundation, they're going to get through the storms. But if we've built them around pop psychology and a few little phrases and a buzz and smoke machine and strobe lights and mm -mm -mm on Sunday morning, if that's all they've got when the storms of life come, they're finished. If they're not firm on the rock of fun, now you can have both, but I'm just showing a point. Paul is saying, be careful what you build. If you use inferior building materials, when the day comes, the day of trial, the day of difficulty, the day when you hear you've lost your loved one, a day where the economy starts to splutter and burp, that day your faith is going to be tested. If what you've built is on Christ and it's good material, it's going to survive. Or else it's going to fall apart. He says, you'll still be saved. I'm glad he threw that in. But it'll be like someone who got saved running through fire. Now, the first rule of hermeneutics is a text will never mean today what it didn't mean then. It won't mean today what it didn't mean then. And here, he's referring to them as a, a body of people. This is often applied to my own life, an individual's life, independent. You know, I must build hay, uh, silver and gold and in my personal life. But, he's all, but here, he's actually talking about the church. How are we building the church? Come on, leaders. I know there's a lot of leaders sitting here. How are we building the children's ministry? How are we building our worship? Is it me-centered? Is it to draw people to myself? Is it just to give me promotion? Is it to give me a sense of value and so I can leave going, oh, that felt so good, I feel so loved? Or is it a sense of I want to serve, to use my gift with these children to see them become greater than me? I want to serve in this worship to see God's people go to new heights of worship, not just because it's about me. How are you building the temple? Because if we're building with inferior Quality, uh, materials, the day will, will reveal it. It's going to burn up. The verse straight after this also gets misused in the same way. Something that has been wrongly applied to the individual believer is, 
Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. You here, plural. Don't mess with the temple. Don't mess with the community. That's where God's spirit is dwelling. That is the contraculture to what the world has. And by going off with this factionalism, going off with... Uh, partisan Christianity. I'm going to be just part of this little group here uh, and, and I'll pitch and do my little worship thing when it makes them happy. You know, to blazes with the rest of the church. I don't really care what happens with the kids or the, the, them or the people or the other aspects of the life of the church. How well, how's it going with the church? How, how's the church doing right now? No, no, it's just about me. Yeah, I'm, I'm of, I'm of, uh, of, uh, I'm of Dave Betts. So just me and Dave. I'm of Donna. It's just me and Donna. I don't care anything. I'm just me and Donna. Now, that's a bit of an exaggeration. And maybe it's not as applicable in our context. But division is applicable. Any div- divisiveness, anything that can hurt the body, can hurt the church, gossip, uh, stinginess, uh, negativity. Paul says, don't hurt the church, because that's serious stuff. Are you tracking with me so long? By thinking of themselves as as of, of this one and of that one. And partial to one leader over another, they have participated in the world's foolishness. The very thing they don't want to be because they're into this wisdom thing. They're being foolish. He says, do not deceive yourself. If any one of you thinks he's wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he can actually become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight, as it is written. He catches the wise in their craftiness, and again the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So no more language of I belong to Paul, and I belong to Peter, and I belong, but rather Paul belongs to me. Peter belongs to me. They are God's gifts that have given me. And he says, Paul, having made this point now, that we equal co-laborers, we servants, we want to build wisely. We don't want to hurt the bride. We don't want to hurt this temple. Having said all these things, he now wants to just kind of raise his tone to a high theological note. In the next verse he says, So then, no more boasting about men. All these things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ's is God. This is a powerful scripture. It's saying Jesus achieved a cosmic feat that in the millenniums of the future we'll look back and realize that he restored everything back. That was stolen. That was lost. Life and death. Future, the present. 
And we as a community have been restored. And humanity's lostness and the believer's freedom. And what Christ has done has cosmic dimensions for the believer. What is he doing here? He's getting their eyes to see a bigger picture. And in light of that, you're squabbling about who's following that one and who's following that one and who's following that one. Come on, guys. There's a much bigger picture here. So, let's summarize this. First of all, Paul is addressing the church and telling them how to view their leaders. That's the first thing we looked at. Secondly, Paul addresses the leaders and tells them to take care of and how they should build the church. Thirdly, Paul tells the church they are God's temple in Corinth. And then finally, Paul concludes by exalting God and in so doing, the folly of human wisdom and eloquence. This is his first of two ways he wants to restore an understanding of, of leadership. The second one has to do with him personally. So the first one is in general, they're being divided over leaders. The second one is their rejection of him, the one who planted the church, the one who led the first person to Christ there, who set it in place, who gave 18 months of sweat, blood, and tears. He wants to establish the fact that he can't address these other problems if they don't see that God has given him authority. You, as a leader, you only have authority in the house that people give you. If people don't give you authority, you have no authority. And he's, he's got to establish a case now to show this. So how does he do this? Paul has to reestablish a healthy view of his apostolic mission in order to bring correction to them. Paul has to reestablish a healthy view of his apostolic mission in order to, to bring a correction on these other matters. 4 verse 1. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those that have been given a trust must prove faithful. But I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed. It's an interesting comment Because he knew they were judging him. But he wasn't really concerned about that judgment. And he says why. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or even a human court. I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear. Maybe that doesn't make me innocent, but it's the Lord who judges me. First thing he's saying is, you guys have judged me. You've said things about me. Behind the scenes, you've criticized my, my, my weakness, my weak approach, my not taking money, not being one of the super apostles. He says, but I'm not going to let that judgment affect me because you're judging someone else's servant. I'm a servant of God. And then he goes into a little bit of sarcasm with them. And he says, we are fools for Christ. You are so wise. We are weak, but you're so strong. You are honored, and we are dishonored. 
And then he opens up his heart and lets them into some of the stuff of the apostle. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. They understood that language. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We, you are honored, and we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. I beg your pardon. We work hard with our hands. When we were cursed, we bless, persecuted, endure, slandered, answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. What a great CV, Paul had. I'm an apostle. You, know, you, you hear the way apostles get talked about today in the world. And you wonder what the true marks of an apostle are. Biblically, they're very different to apostle, hobnob, and prophet, dingbat, and prophet, big shot. Very different. The marks of this apostle, marks of the apostles in the Bible, were that they had seen Jesus Christ personally, and they had planted churches. Now, I know there's apostolic gifting, but the true apostles were distinguished by those two things and the fact that they continued in much of Christ's rejection and suffering in their day. He goes on, marks of an apostle. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Remember on the road to Damascus? Are you not the results of my work in the Lord, church planted? Even though I'm not an apostle to others, surely I am to you. Interesting. Just because you're apostle in one region doesn't mean you're, that's your title in the whole church. Do, do you get that? For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment of me. That's why I can call myself an apostle, Paul says. Irrespective of the judgment. I saw Jesus. I planted you. I've walked the talk. And I want to share with you just quickly, I'm, I'm doing some cross-reference jumping here. That's why it's a different color slide. To similar language Paul uses. I just couldn't resist not sharing this bit. Paul shares in his heart, in his second letter to, to the Corinthians, uh, what he went through as an apostle and his call to plant this church and in 2 Corinthians 11. But I do not think I am in least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. And we see that through all the epistles and revelation. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then just... Receive me as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. So he's saying, you call me a fool, so I'm going to act like a fool for a little while, okay? In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but just as a fool. 
since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you, pushes you himself forward or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that I was too weak for that. What anyone else dares to boast about? And, and he says, I'm speaking as a fool, because he's contrasting with this wisdom. I also dared to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And he kind of thinks he's out of his mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequent, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. And he goes on and on. You can go read it for yourself. And he gets to verse 27. I have labored and toiled. And have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. And have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I heard Rob say that recently. See, some nights he can't even sleep. They just lie in bed holding each other's hand, Rob and Glenda, just crying over the church. They hear what's going on. And, and when you seep yourself in, in the life of an apostolic gift and an apostolic ministry, that are judged by human wisdom, judged by human standards of what they should be and shouldn't be, criticized, mocked. And you know they just have one passion, is to carry the burden of the church that Jesus died and shed his blood for. That is the temple, the culture that is contrary to the world, the kingdom of God on earth, the now and the not yet, the soon-to-be-married bride to the king of glory. And they carry that. So if I must boast, I'll boast of these things that show my weaknesses. I will not boast about myself, except my weaknesses. He's taking them on now, in their face. Fatale in your chassach, soos the Afrikaans say. You want me to be wise, I'll show you what a fool I am. But I will boast about my weakness. Even if I should choose to boast, I will not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I'll free frame, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. And then he goes on to talk about some personal struggles in his life and how he went to Jesus and cried out and said, Lord, take this away from me. Take this burden off my shoulders. And Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee. In my power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'll rather glory in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Wherefore, I take pleasure in weakness, in injury, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. 
<laughs> Praise God. How often we've heard that scripture. But have we heard it against the backdrop of an apostle standing up and saying, you might have judged me to have nothing more, but I'm coming to bring some correction to you. I'm going to put some things in order. There's some stuff that's causing this church to split down the middle and get destroyed. And I'm coming to put the house in order. So let's track just quickly an overview of how he co- corrected their views on leadership. Firstly, the Corinthians should regard Paul and Apollos and other teachers as equal servants from God as gift to God's household. Secondly, they should not judge him, comparing him to others, because they should not judge another person's servant. Thirdly, he bears the true marks of an apostle. Now he wants to make sure that he wasn't doing this to shame them. And now his metaphor changes to reflect the true heart of, a, of an apostle, and that as a father to children. You see, the church is not, it might run on some business principles, but the church is a body, not a business. The church, I know it's not a cruise ship, it's more of a battleship. But, but the church is made up of members, parts of one another that God has put together in place. And the analogy of parents and children is the best analogy. It's the analogy that started in the garden. God wanted families of worshiping communities. Right through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Read through your Bible. It's always about families and parents, third generation, multi-generation, grandfathers to sons to their grandchildren. It's always that. And in the church, it's the same. If the church is going to work properly, you have to begin to see yourself as a son, but you also have to be ready to be a father. If you don't step up to be a father and to look for some sons, because, hello, we live in an orphan world. And if we don't put our hands up to be fathers, we can't just put our hands up to become managing directors. We can't just put our hands up to be supervisors. We can't just put our hands up to be caretakers. We've got to put our hands up to be fathers. And this is the point Paul makes in the next verse when he says, I'm not writing all of this stuff I've been telling you so you'll be, feel ashamed. But I want to warn you, as my dear children, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. You were born of incorruptible seed. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And for this reason, I'm sending you, Timothy, my son who I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Paul couldn't just jump on a plane and go visit them. He was on a journey that would take him months to get. But he knew Timothy was in Ephesus. And he could get a message to Timothy to hop over about 50 kilometers to Corinth. Uh, sorry, in, in Athens to Corinth. And he knew if he, if he could get Timothy there, Timothy was a true son. Timothy positioned himself as a son to Paul. Paul often refers to him as my son. And Timothy would have gone there and showed them the fruits of a son. And that's what he's saying to the Corinthians. You might have many instructors and many great teachers and many great apostles, but do you have fathers? 
So I'll show you my son. And when my son comes, you'll know what a son looks like, and then you'll be able to deduce what a father looks like. I'm telling you, it's the biggest need in the church right now. Not only this church, the church at large, but I believe in this church. Parent mentality. We are a family. I have people I position myself to as a son, and I have sons that I love and care for. And then I have peers who stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder. Two bricks on top, two bricks next to me, and two bricks under. That's what keeps a wall solid. Having said this, Paul still has to establish his authority if he's going to bring correction to all those other things that, he's li- that we listed earlier that came out of Chloe's letter, Chloe's report and the letter. So he says, I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? I'll come to you with a whip or in love with a gentle spirit. I mean, he, he, it's a hypothetical question. It's like, I don't want to come with a whip. I don't want to come and have to wield my authority. If you force me to, I'm going to have to. But that's not how I want to come. I want to come with a gentle spirit, a, a, loving, a loving and gentle spirit. And then this is just kind of to conclude this. As I said, we weren't going to get much past two chapters. So on Sunday, we looked at chapter 1 and 2. Tonight, we looked at 2 and 3. And he tackles this first problem, which was this, the, the disunity caused by factionalism. And that is underlying to many of the other mindsets that he's going to approach as he gets to the incest problem, as he gets to the brothers taking brothers to law problem, as he gets to the, 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 the whole breakdown in, in immorality and, 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 and the abuse of the communion and the abuse of the gifts and the, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is Paul's correction to the issue in this letter that's been brought to his attention does it th- in three ways. From Chapter 4 to 20, verse 21, chapter 5 and chapter 6, he rebukes. In chapter 4, from 14 to 16, uh, 14 to 17, and chapter 16, 10 to 11, he appeals. And then in chapter 6, from verse 18 to 20, and 16, 12 to 14, he exhorts. Three ways he approaches, three attitudes, if you like, if you look at the heart behind the way he tackles these are the problems. And with that concludes two chapters of Corinthians. And I want to just... As I was doing this today, it was just like, God, what is the real goal of this? Just to get more information about Corinthians? No. And these are fantastic truths. And it shows how an exegetical study taken into a hermeutical application can build us up. If we interpret the Bible as what it meant to them then in their cultural historical context, 
and we bring the principles that we can into a hermeneutical or a present application, they always build the church. That's why we got the scripture. That's why we got the word of God. Not to glibly throw little pop psychology phrases out with a little verse, but a study of the word of God will always bring us back to the foundation. But that, I said, Lord, what is this about? It's not just that. That's good. That's important. And I really, with all my heart, want to impart a love for God's word. Something in you that says, I want to I abide in his word. Because when I abide in his word and his words abide in me, ask whatever I will, it'll be given to me. I, I want you to just get a, a love for God's word to say, yeah, I might know all the characters in last year's Hollywood uh, top films of the year, but how well do I know the characters in this book that Jesus recognized as God's word, scripture, and the apostles? refer to the writings of Paul as scripture. How well do I know? And I, I just believe that if we're going to make disciples, if we are going to establish people and then equip them and then empower them, something of not a legalistic, harsh, I have to read the Bible an hour a day, but a, Man, I delight in your word, O oh Lord. Lord, I delight in your word. Your word's a light to my path. I'm in the boat and I'm fishing all night and I've thrown the net that side and I've thrown that side and I don't know what's going on. But at your word, your word is a light unto my path. When I come into temptation, the words, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will remind you what, what I've said. When you come before uh, uh, challenges and hardship, the word will come out. Spend hours in the word and you'll take minutes to solve problems. Spend minutes in the word and you'll take hours to solve problems. Prayer can't function without the word of God. And the word of God is there for our relationship with God. Not just to make us proud and to puff us up with knowledge. Someone came to me last week after the teaching and said, oh, I didn't know my pastor was so clever. And I mean, this was very sweet. And she said it with a good heart. But I thought, God forbid that's what people leave thinking. I've missed it. I've totally missed it. I want people to leave going, Lord, give me understanding. Give me eyes to read. Give me an inquisitive heart. Let the word be true and everything else a lie. Where I read something I don't understand, that's okay. I'm going to research it out and get it. I'm going to take instruction from others from the word. I don't want to miss the teaching of the word on Sunday. Every Sunday I come here, I want to hear the word of God. Oh yeah, I preach, yeah. I want to get under the spout where there's glory coming out. Richard was telling me the other day, one of the best parts of his jobs, his long driving, is that he can have the word playing in his car. Just sometimes preached, you know, a good Bible teacher 
or, or, or just Scripture. And it's so easy this day, these days to have the Word. And read it devotionally, yes, but also get to the nuggets of it. You see, this is, this is, this is my intention and goal with these f- few sessions I've had. Last Sunday, why I believe the Scripture is the Word of God. Jesus, apostles, the prophets. Last Monday, how do we do responsible Bible that we don't just make the Bible say anything? How do we responsibly exegete and hermeneut it? <laughs> Sunday, just an example from one or two chapters. Tonight, an example from one or two chapters. I apologize that we've kind of run out of time for that big discussion. But when I saw how much content there is in Corinthians, I thought, oh dear Jesus, I'm going to... Somebody sent me a question this week. I'm going to use you as an example. This is a great example. Just, I was reading this scripture and I'm a little bit confused about this. It seems like a contradiction here. And I immediately, it's one of the 10 big, biggest ones that are challenging exegetically in, in the New Testament. So I just sent him a whole lot of, luckily it was on my computer, so I just cut and copied a few things out of what I was studying, and I said, I said, what do you think of that? Uh, the, the question was, that some, what was the question again? Tongues, sometimes? Yes. Yes. And prophecies for the believers. And which is it? And you are like, how can you say tongues is for the believers and blah, 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 blah. But then later said tongues is not for the believers, for the unbelievers when they come in. And then you went and studied it up a bit. And, and what conclusion did you come to? Brilliant, brilliant. The one tongue in the assembly needs an interpretation. I find even, and the other tongue is just between me and God. Now, if Steve hadn't asked the question and was prepared to dig a little bit, I hope you got some question marks in your Bible. Not a bad thing. And you know, sometimes the best answer, I don't know yet. Doesn't change my faith. Doesn't change my belief. I just don't get that one yet. But one day, the lights will go on. Let's stand up together. Next uh, Sunday, Bill will be preaching on the Bible taught prophetically. I'm looking forward to that. And next Monday, Anne will be talking about external evidences for the evidence and of, the, of the scriptures that we have today, which is also a very interesting topic. My little bit has been to bring us to this point. And then I'll pick it up the following week on how to find Jesus in the whole Bible. Types, shadows, symbols, 
prophecies. If Jesus used the Bible to speak about himself, how did he do that? And that is called a Christ-centric approach to Scripture. And phew, gives me two weeks grace to study up. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you for these things we're learning. You say knowledge only puffs up, but Lord, where truth comes, the light breaks in. And I pray for every person who's made the effort to be here tonight after a full day's work, tired, gotcha, let their participation here tonight, Lord, I pray, press down, shaken together, running over. Energy, time, vision, passion. I pray, Lord, that you take us as a people to be a people of your word and that you would bring revelation and understanding in humility and a deep, deep love to hear what you say through your word. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. 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 Amen.